Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read in just a moment. I want to talk to you on the subject of the ultimate test of the Christian life. The ultimate test of the Christian life. How many know that Christianity is going to be a series of tests? Anybody getting tested right now? You might be getting tested financially, like we just talked about. You might be getting tested relationally, socially. You might be getting tested occupationally. You might be getting tested uh, with a, a, a spirit that is attacking you, your family. I don't know. But what I do know about Christianity is that it is a series of tests. And today, we are talking about the ultimate one. I'm going to give you a spoiler right off the bat to give you the context for where we're going. Here's the test. Love your enemies. Love people who hate you. <laughs> this one, this is doctoral level testing of the Christian life. Elementary school test, can you come back to church? <laughs> can you come back and worship with God's people on a regular basis? That's like elementary level testing. God bless you all. Y'all passed that test this week. Amen. <laughs> High school level testing, can you give? Can you serve? Can you be involved? Uh, college level testing, can you lead others to Christ? Master's level testing, can you tithe regularly? Can you give things to people in need? Can you serve when you don't feel like it? That's master's level. Okay, doctoral level Christian testing. Can you love those who hate you? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about this, and he's in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about how different God's people are compared to the people of the world. Write this down so I know you're getting it. Christianity is countercultural. That's where we're going to start. That's the baseline. Christianity is countercultural. Hear me very clearly, Americans. Christianity is not American. Christianity is not Democrat or Republican. Christianity is beyond all that. It's above all that. Christianity is not about a country or natural borders on a map. Christianity is where the kingdom of heaven invades the kingdom of this earth and the kingdoms of this earth and serves the true king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We Christians don't march to the beat of Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We don't follow politicians with blank stares as if we're hopeless dupes. We are followers of the author of life and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. We don't always get it right, but we do our best to follow him in every test. And I wanna help you do better in this test because this message this week, and I got news for you, I am not preaching to you, mostly I'm preaching to myself. If you manage to get something out of this message, God bless you, but I'm preaching to me because this one's tough. Now, full disclosure, I'm really preaching to you, but I'm also preaching to me. Christianity is counter-cultural. So I want you to read with me what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 about loving your enemies. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? He says, you have heard it said, this is verse 43 of Matthew 5, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? He says this, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you than 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, help me. Speak through me. Remove from my mouth and my mind anything that you don't want me to say. And help our hearts and our ears to be open to hear you. May the seed of your word, your true righteous good word, go down deep into the heart of every single one of us. Take root in our character, in our being, and bear fruit in our living and doing. And help us to see Jesus. Him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Well, Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. Somebody say Sermon on the Mount. The reason why is because Jesus goes up onto a mountain to preach a sermon in Matthew 5. He is um, imitating what Moses does before he leaves the people of Israel in Joshua's hand. He goes up onto a mountain, declares to them the word of God. So here is Jesus, the new Moses, giving a higher law, a new law, if you will, the true law, the heart of the law on, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. And what he has been talking about in the passage we just read is based or predicated on something that he says in verse 20 of Matthew 5. We'll put it up on the screen. Verse 20 of Matthew 5, Jesus says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness, what's the next word, everybody? Exceeds the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying? Look at the, the scribes were the, theologi- the theological scholars of Jesus' day. These are the people who translated or transmitted and transcribed the Bible. And the Pharisees were the most strict religious sect of Israel in that day. They were the fundamental Baptists and the legalistic Pentecostals and the guilty Catholics all wrapped up into one group. I mean, you don't get any more strict and religious than these people, the Pharisees. I mean, they tithed, they tithed on their spice rack. They wore funny little hats and big long gowns. They dressed to impress. They had 39 laws about the law of the Sabbath. They, they didn't just take God's law seriously. They added laws to the law. There was a, one law in the Ten Commandments on the Sabbath. They said, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to not work? They added 39 stipulations as to what that means. These people were the strictest religious sect in Jerusalem of that day. And Jesus says, I need you to do better than them. Yikes. But what he's talking about was the heart, the heart of the law. And so if you go past Verse 20, Jesus unpacks what it means to exceed that law, that standard. And here's a couple of examples. He says, look, they say do not murder. But I say to you, don't even be angry. Don't even call people names. Don't even call someone a fool. Because that's the start. That's where murder, that's where uh, anger leads to murder. And so if you're angry with your brother, you're on your way to murder already. Another passage, he says, you have heard it said don't commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look lustfully. Don't even desire with the eyes, because that desire to, from the eyes leads to the action of the, of the body. He's, a, he's elevating all the standards of the law. Then he goes into divorce. He says, look, no divorce except for sexual immorality. And he talks about oath-taking and, and being a person of your word. He says, stop swearing by the temple. Stop swearing by the gold of the temple. Stop that nonsense. Just, just let your yes be yes. And your no. He's elevating the law every single step of the way. By the way, we still do that, don't we? He's like, some of you guys, you say, I swear to God. I swear on my mother's grave. Or we do simple things like this. We say, well, I'm really telling the truth now. It's like, well, what were you doing five minutes ago? 
Will you not, will you lie? <laughs> Why do we always have to add mom's grave to what we say to be taken seriously? Just let your yes be yes. He talks about retaliation. Then he says, he says this, don't, don't retaliate. Somebody hits you on the cheek, what do you do? Turn the other. Another passage, he says, if someone care, asks you to go one mile, go two. What, what is he talking about? There was a law in Rome in those days. Law, uh, the Romans used to conquer kingdoms and to make sure that people knew they were con conquered, a Roman centurion had the right to ask any citizen to carry his bags for one mile, just randomly. So it'd be like a military man in America just coming up to you on the street saying, carry my bags. One mile, according to law. I mean, imagine if that was the case here in this, in this country. We wouldn't stand for it. But in those days, they didn't have a choice. They had to carry that, that equipment for one mile. Jesus says, don't just go the one mile. What does Jesus say? Go two miles. Some of you know this. By the way, anybody ever tell you, go the extra mile, guess what? They're quoting Jesus. That comes from Jesus Christ. And I bring all this up to say this, that the Sermon on the Mount, and this is true, the Sermon on the Mount is the highest level of moral living ever pronounced anywhere on this planet. No one has been able to beat it. No preacher, no philosopher, no religious leader, no one. And the Sermon on the Mount has been the highest level of moral living and has been staying at the top of the list for 2,000 years. Do you ever think about that? These words, nobody can improve on them. Why? Because they're not the words of man. They're the words of God, the Son, the one who made us, the one who loves us, and the one who's coming back for us, and the one who knows what is true and what is a lie. And so no one improves on Jesus' standards in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to the end of the segment. And he says, this is what I want you to do lastly. Last of all, are you ready? Listen, listen, listen real close. I want you to love your enemies. And you have to think, the people in the ancient world. Are you crazy? That's nuts. We should be hating people that hate us. Why should we love those who love us, don't love us? And Jesus actually goes even higher than what you think because he uses the word for love that is in the Greek text, agape. Now, I know he spoke Aramaic, but, but the writers who translated Jesus' words chose this word to be the word that Jesus was referring to. Agape, and if, if you got your notes out, you'll see the definition of agape love there. He says, this is not, this is not an emotional, endearing kind of love, but a one way, no strings attached. Somebody say, no strings attached. No strings attached kind of love that flows from grace and mercy. He says, that's what I want you to do with people who hate you. Man, that's tough. Raise your hand if you got any haters in your life. <laughs> it's okay to raise your hand in church. Amen, somebody? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that. I mean, we got, we got haters. And, and here's what I've learned. And some of you didn't raise your hand yet. And I know why you didn't raise your hand. Well, two reasons. Either you're Baptist and you were trained not to. Or you just, or you just haven't lived long enough to make a few enemies. Jesus ends this passage by saying, you're going to be perfect. You're going to be perfect as your heavenly father in heaven is perfect. Now, there is one thing that I have learned about this text that, and I say this humbly, I have only been able to learn by living. Living as long as I have. God has graced me with 47 years, and here I am. And I got to tell you this. It gets harder to love your enemies the older you get. Anybody hear this? Anybody with me on this? Am I the only sinner in the crowd? You know what I'm talking about? 
Like it gets harder because I have learned. And some of you 20-year-olds, you're like, I love everybody. Everybody's my friend. I just love the world. Okay, just give it time. Eventually, you will find betrayal, rejection, hate, just because you are you. That's life. You can't help it. It will happen to the best of us. It happens to me, and I preach the word of God. I got enemies. I got lists of enemies. And some of the people on that list, do you know where they used to sit? Right where you're sitting. All I got to do is check our Google reviews to find a few of them right now. They're out there. They hate me. They hate you. They hate this church. And I'm like, man, preach the word. They still hate me. Yes, they hated Jesus, and he told them the truth. That's what's going to happen in life. And even if you don't follow Jesus, you're still going to get hated. So how are you going to handle this? I mean, I, I, I've been challenged this week. Like I said, the Holy Spirit, through this word, as I prepared this word, the Holy Spirit was hitting me right here in the, between the eyes. And I'm like, Lord, this message is for me. Yeah, it is. It is. Because i got to start crossing names off my lists and hear me so do you so do you a couple months ago I was walking my dogs as I always do I give my dogs two walks a day I'm a good dad of dogs I got two beautiful boxers I call them my favorite children and <laughs> I'm walking them one morning and I did this I had this habit where I walked them in the morning there was this open field and on the back side of the field there were some homes and I just said you know let them off the leash because they're boxers they need some run in their in their walk so I would let them off and I did this and I got away with this for a year and one day I let them off the leash and way on the other side of that field someone was coming out of their house but the problem was they were coming out with their kids and their dog any dog owners know what's about to happen. My, my, my youngest dog was about 100 feet away, and he got a sniff, and he just jetted. My oldest dog was sitting right next to me, and she got the sniff, and then she, and it was like, no, and I tried to grab, I couldn't grab, she just fly. And, and this woman is coming out with her dog, and the, my dog's going, run it, run, 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 they think they're playing. They're not attacking her, they're attacking her dog, and she's going a little bit nuts, and she got little kids there, and I'm like scared for, my, for, for her and for her kids, and I run up to my dogs, and I yank them out, I'm like, I scream in my dog's face, I, I can't believe you did that, what's wrong with you? And I said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, it never happened again, and I put them back on the leash and I took them home and I was so mad at my dogs and I thought that was going to be the end of it and I come up here I preach the weekend and I go back home and I go to small group I go to my Waters Church small group come on somebody how many of you are thankful for your Waters Church small group I need one myself I show up early I'm sitting down in the place where we meet and somebody walks in the first group member comes in and says hey pastor how you doing I'm doing fine. How are you doing? Second person comes in, hey, thinking about you this weekend. <laughs> what happened? Well, did something bad happen? Third person comes in and says, Pastor, I saw the video. I'm like, what video? This woman took her ring doorbell video and posted that incident on the community-wide Facebook group. Thousands of members saw that moment. And not only did she post the video, but she wrote 
a college-level essay detailing all the ways in which I am a second cousin of Lucifer himself. <laughs> and that wouldn't have been bad. But I went and I saw the comments, 45 comments from people in my community. And the comments went like this. Oh, I know that guy. He has no control over those. Oh, he lives down the street from me. Oh, this is where he is. I'm like, oh my, am I on trial at Nuremberg here? What is going on? I felt about two, two centimeters tall. And that group at Life, that night at Life, thank God for Waters Church Life Groups. I needed the ministry that night. Everybody's like, well, I'm going through this. I'm like, I don't care what you're going through. I feel terrible. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And I said, add that woman's name to the list. And as we're doing small, we're talking about the Bible in life group and small group. And here's what I'm doing in my mind. My little factory of ideas is cooking during life group. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get that woman. I'm going to get her. And I thought, of, I came up with some plans. You want to hear one of the plans? Do you want to hear one of the plans? I don't know if you want to hear the one. I'm going to tell you anyway. I, I, I said to myself, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save up a week's worth of dog poop. This is what I'm going to do. A week's worth, I'm going to put it in a bag, and then I'm going to go out at 3 a.m. with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Predator, face mask, all that kind of, and I'm going to go over to the back room of her house. I'm going to throw it over the fence, and then I'm going to run, get to the chopper, and it's going to be all good. I'm going to get there. You ain't got to, Pastor, got you. That's what I thought. Meanwhile, during life group, they're like, Pastor, maybe you should go and apologize. Maybe, I don't know, extend an olive branch. You know, be the bigger person. Take the step. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to hate. I just, so, yeah. come on, somebody. Anybody know this? Sometimes hate feels good. Can we just be real? I wanted to hate. They said, no, you can't do that. Cheryl's like, yeah, let's just go tonight. Let's just do it. Let's just do it now. I'm like, no, Cheryl. I'm arguing with my wife. How many know that never ends good? So... We drive over to the house, knock on the door. Woman doesn't even open the door. She sees me, big beard. She sees me. She opens the window, talks through the screen like I'm some kind of terrorist, like I'm some kind of, you know, menace to society. I'm like, hello, remember me with the boxers? I'm so sorry. And I apologize all over myself. I mean, I had already apologized, and she exploited the action in, 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 in anyway, and I still apologized. It was, uh, can I tell you? It, no, 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 don't, don't clap. Don't, please, because I fail way more than I succeed here. And I just apologized all the way, and I said, by the way, I'm a pastor, and my people see it, and it's kind of embarrassing. Could you possibly take the video? Yeah, I'll take it down. I'll go to that church over down the street. I said, you just keep going to that church. God bless you. You need it. You know, that was my thought in my head. I didn't say that, but you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, man, that was hard. That action went against every grain in my body. Christianity is countercultural. You understand what I'm talking about culture? I'm talking about you. Now, my story is a silly story. But some of you could get up here and tell your story. It's not just dogs. It's what dad did to you 30 years ago. It's what the business partner did to you 12 years ago. It's about what the friend did to you over the girlfriend or over the girl you were interested in. It's about, it's about what the girl down the street did to you with your husband. 
And you are just sitting here in this moment saying, I will never forgive them. I will never let them off the hook. I will hold this until I dare, I dare. And I'm going to tell you something. Are you ready for it? Jesus is asking you right now to scratch their name. Not scratch. Erase their name off the list. I got your attention now, don't I? You want to talk about being Christian? This is where it is. Some of you are going to walk out of this service today and say, I don't think I want to be a Christian. I'd rather that response than you fake it for the next five years. I want you to really measure this because this, this loving your enemy's deal exposes whether or not we're Christians. I, I'm, honestly, I'm going to tell you the truth and you're not going to like it because I don't like it either. So I got three points about this test concerning loving your enemies. Write this down. Point number one, loving my enemies is the ultimate test of how deeply I embrace God's grace toward me. How deeply do I really embrace God's grace toward me? Why, do, why does this apply to God's grace toward me, Pastor? Here's why. Are you ready? Because you were an enemy of God. And he loved you when you did not deserve it. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, you're going to love your enemies. Then he says, so that, circle so that in Matthew 5, 40. Circle the so that, because so that's mean this is why I'm asking you to do this. So that you may be sons or daughters of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the eve of the good. He makes the rain fall on the just and the unjust. Here's what that passage is underscoring. It's a theological doctrine of the church. Are you ready? It's called common grace. Somebody say common grace. Okay, here's what that means. Adolf Hitler enjoyed many sunrises. Chairman Mao enjoyed many rainfalls in due season. Evil people have received God's grace regardless of what they did. And everybody gets it. Everybody gets some amount of it. Common grace. Now, 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 now. Don't get nervous, don't get shook. Because common grace is not saving grace. Common grace ends the day your heart stops beating. Or the day Jesus comes back. Common grace is for everybody, but saving grace is for special people. Saving grace is, is what God did for you in sending Jesus to die for you and rise for you. And then, listen to this very carefully, orchestrating all the events of your life to bring you to the point where you finally said yes to Jesus Christ. I hope you understand this and I hope you listen to this. You did not get saved because you came to church. You did not get saved because you were a good person. You did not come to Jesus because you had made a conscious choice that you were going to fix your life and get your life right. I know you think that because we all tend to interpret all the activity of our life through the lens of we're the star of the movie that is our life and we made these decisions. No, my friend, you are not the star. Jesus is the star. He's, he's the protagonist of your life. And he is the one who came and got you and found you and selected you and chose you and predestined you to be conformed to the image of himself that you should bring glory to almighty God who created you. That's who you are. 
That's what it means to be saved. I hope you're getting this. Oh, I hope you're getting this because church people need to hear this more than non-church people. You did not come to Jesus. Jesus came to you. You did not find him. He found you. Can I get a good amen? Amen. How did he find you? When you were an enemy. Look with me at Romans 5 verse 10. For if while we were, what's the word? Enemies. You were not neutral toward God. You were his enemy. You know why Jesus died? It says it right there. We were reconciled to God by the what? Say the word. The death. Jesus had to die to bring you life. A bloody, unjust, murderous death befell the perfect, glorious, wonderful Son of God for you, for me. And I didn't deserve it. And I got saved because he made the first move. Amen, somebody. I was his enemy. So were you. Write these three thoughts down. The entrance to Christian faith is receiving grace. How do you get into the Christian movement? You receive grace. You say, God, I didn't do anything worthy to be called your son. In fact, I did all all the things that make me not your son. Have mercy on me, a sinner. God forgives you, welcomes you into the family. Now, number two thing I want you to write down here is the test of Christian faith is giving grace to others. Tell me you're a Christian by giving to others what God has given to you. But here's the third part of this line I want you to write down. And grace is always undeserved. The term grace means unmerited favor. You don't earn it. You don't, you don't live up to an expectation that Jesus saves you. No, you, you get it when you least deserve it. So, to those of you who want to say, you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. They don't deserve my love. Yep. Agreed. And you and I did not deserve his love. If we change the terms of the, of the agreement, we're no longer operating on grace, we're operating on works. Some of you are doing this with your enemies. Well, when they come and properly apologize to me. Huh? Is that what you did for God? I mean, I really want you to think about this question before you raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have properly apologized for every sin you've ever committed against God. Go ahead, raise your hand. My hand is down. I'm not even going to display it for you because there's no way I could have ever properly apologized for every sin I've ever committed against God. But he's forgiven them. He's forgiven them. And so if we're going, and this is so important for you to get, if we're going to be sons of that God, daughters of that God, we've got to start acting like him. Now, please understand that loving your enemies is not a condition for salvation, but it is a condition of your heart after salvation. Are you hearing that? So, so um, I, I want to just do a little thing here. You have to understand that everything that we do as Christians is responsive to what God has already done for us. 
Theologians call this the theological as, A-S. The theological as. Everything that we do for others is because God has done it for us. Let me show you a couple of verses that, that explain this. Ephesians chapter 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. What? As God in Christ forgave you. Why do I forgive people? Because God forgave me. How do I forgive God? How do I forgive other people? As God forgave me. Who do you need to forgive who hasn't properly apologized for the sin that they've committed? Because guess what? They might not even know. <laughs> they might not even know what they did. And you're going to sit there and spend 15 years not talking to them because they haven't properly identified what they don't even re realize they did to you. And how about get over that and start apologizing or start forgiving as God has forgiven you? Here's another one, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just, what's the word? As I have loved you. I don't love you based on how my mom loved me or my dad loved me, and they loved me greatly. I love you based on how God, I'm supposed to love you as how God loved me. Good Lord. That is tough. I got a couple other examples that are not on the screen. Romans 15, verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Luke 6, 36. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Ephesians 5, 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Theological ass. Some of you need to get your ass in order. Stop being a stubborn ass. Stop being a dumb ass. Stop being a mean ass. And start being a grace-filled ass. Amen, somebody. Start being a Jesus loved me. Now I gotta love you kind of ass. Come on, somebody. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to have fun. Or just put it in the Google review. Okay, are you ready? Love it or hate it. Point number two, loving my enemies is the ultimate test of God's character developing in me. Now here's some of you, this is what you're saying. And you're a young Christian and I'm, I'm so glad that you're here and I love you, I thank God for you. You keep us older Christians awake. But you're saying, um, man, I'm really growing in Christ. I'm really learning a lot about the Bible. Ooh, God is good. Man, I'm seeing God all over my life. He's, man, every time, ever since I came to Christ, I've seen God's goodness. Oh, I am, I am excelling in Christ. Okay, okay, great. How's the loving your enemies thing? I mean, do we really want to talk about being Christians? Do we? I have had enough. I am, I am up to here with preachers on YouTube and TV, talking about your destiny and your purpose and finding your way and Jesus being your helper and Jesus getting you through the storm and Jesus helping you be this and being that and being calm and all this and everything. And everything. It's all about you. It's like, wait a second. You understand that that's not the heart of Christianity. Jesus does not come to this earth to be your spiritual advisor. He came to this earth to be God's substitutionary sacrifice for your sins. And your job as a Christian is not to find your purpose. Your job as a Christian is to know his purpose and live it out on this earth, however he sees fit for you to do it. And if we're going to live out his purpose, then the world needs a little bit less hate and a lot more love of Jesus. And this is how Jesus says, look at this, because he says in verse 45 that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, but read verse 46. For if you love those who love you, that's normal. 
If you greet only your brothers, Gentiles do that. Outsiders do that. Normal people love their own. So in all the divisions of our country. And, and I don't think they're as bad as the news media makes them out to be. This black-white divide, I don't think it's nearly as bad. There's a lot of black people, a lot of white people sitting right next to each other in this church. God, God be praised for that. Amen. There's old people sitting next to young people. This boomer-zoomer divide. This male-female. I see a lot of males sitting next to females. Amen. Praise God. Hopefully they're married to the female and producing godly children. Praise God. Amen. But all these divisions. You know, that, that we, we, we Christians have got to go above what this normal world does. A lot of people play economic games with their relationships. Well, I'll like their, I'll like their Facebook post, but they got to first like my Facebook post. What a child. Well, I'll have them over to my house, but they haven't invited me over to their house. Child. Well, I'll like them. I'll say good things about them, but if they don't say good things about me, then I'm going to cut them off. Child. Grow up. You're acting just like the world. Christianity is counter what? Cultural. Jesus didn't just say love your enemies. He exhibited love your enemies. When they, hanged him, when they hung him on the cross, what's one of the words on the cross? What's one of the phrases? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh. There's a beautiful movie that you need to watch if you haven't seen it already. It's called Ben-Hur. And if you've got to spare four hours, <laughs> I challenge you to watch it. It's from 1959, before they made movies with CGI and fake you know, computer graphics. Beautiful movie. It's about a, a guy named Judah Ben-Hur. And he's a prince in Israel. And uh, he's betrayed by his best friend growing up named Masala. Masala wants to climb the ranks of the Roman army. And so he betrays, he betrays Judah Ben-Hur. Gets him thrown into a slave ship as a prisoner. As a, as, a, as, a, as a criminal for a crime he didn't commit. And, and uh, through the course of events, uh, he has the, the ship collides with another ship, and he gets uh, out of the ship, he gets out of the slave ship, and uh, then this noble Roman adopts him as his son and, and gives him all his money, and then that Roman uh, nobleman dies, and now Judah Ben-Hur has the opportunity to go back home, and he does. He goes back home, but with the expressed, the expressed intention to kill Masala. In fact, while they were arresting him and dragging him off to prison, he yells back to Masala, may God keep you alive until I return. He finally gets back, and the girlfriend, well, the, the girl that he was going to marry before he got wrongly convicted, doesn't recognize him. She says, this is not the Judah Ben-Hur I knew. You have become more like Masala. And then he is in a chariot race against Masala, and against all odds, he defeats the his, his nemesis and, and Masala falls off the chariot and gets run over and then ben, Judah Ben-Hur is able to come to the deathbed of Masala and watch this man who he hated die. And he realizes that it's not all that. He got vengeance and it wasn't enough. He walks outside and just coordinated events. When he walks outside, they're putting Jesus on the cross. And he stands, and the cinematography of this movie is absolutely brilliant. They show, the, the shot is from the back of Jesus' head, looking at the crowd as they look on at his dying. And you see Judah Ben-Hur staring at Jesus, saying these words, and his face changes. And he goes back home, and he talks to his wife, and, uh, his, his, his mother and his sister. And he says, even while they were hanging him on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And his sister says, even then, even then, he was still loving people. And Judah Ben-Hur says this, and I felt his voice take the sword out of my hand. 
I need that. And you do too. How are we ever going to see this country stave off killing itself if we, the church, don't start being like Jesus? Loving people who hate us. On the other end of the spectrum is a guy named Jonah. You know, Jonah's story is in the Bible, but it's not a good story. It's not, it's, it's a terrible story. This, this man runs from God's call. Everybody thinks he's because he's afraid. No, it's not. You read the whole story. You know, why, you know why Jonah ran from the call of God? Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, Israel's enemies, and preach God's word. And at the end of the story, you find out that the reason why Jonah ran from that mission was because he knew that God would show mercy to his enemies. That's why he ran. He says this in Jonah chapter 4. He says, it displeased Jonah. God spares the city. God spares the city through Jonah's preaching. And then Jonah goes up onto a hill and watches the city, hoping, hoping that God will still annihilate the people he hates. But God doesn't. And it says, it displeased Jonah. And he was angry. And he prayed, God, this is what I said when I left my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were gracious and merciful God, slow to anger. Some of you, that's where you are. I can't stand that God lets them live. I can't stand that God blesses them. I can't stand that he's letting them get away with it. My friend, he's treating them the way he treated you. He's being gracious because that's what he is. He's a gracious and merciful God. And Jonah gets to the end, he says, I would rather die. Oh, my word. You know, I wonder how many of our suicidal people, that's where you are. You're suicidal because God isn't getting them. And you'd rather die. And this is Jonah's heart coming out. This is a mess. This is not a good man. And I thought about this. You know, Jonah went into Nineveh to preach. He went into a pagan, godless, God-hating country to preach. They repented. And when he left the city, what you find out is that though he went into Nineveh, at the end of the story, Nineveh got into him. George, come on up here. Where are you, George? He's going to help me illustrate this because some of you got to see this in your life. And the Lord just gave me this thought. This is you. <laughs> and this is what you do with, with the hurts in your life. This is what you do with the people who have hurt you. Well, this was my high school friend, and you don't know what she did to me. Oh, she stole my boyfriend, and I will never forgive her. And so this whole part of my life is darn dark because I will always hate that woman. Oh, this is what my dad did to me. He was awful. He was so strict. He was such an authoritative dictator. I couldn't do anything. And that's my, And some of you are like, yeah, and this is what, this is what my first employer did to me. This is what my, I couldn't stand him. He treated me so terribly. And this is what my former church did to me. Oh, this Christian, they called themselves a Christian. And some of you got to hear this. This is what Pastor Tim did to me. This is what he did to me. That's where I am on your face right there. And some of you, before you know it, before you know it, if you keep keeping records, if you keep keep adding up all the ways that everybody has hurt you before you know it, that's you. And your definition of life is what everybody's done to you. This is why it's so important you got to forgive, you got to let go, and you got to love your enemies. You know why? Because here's how you came to Jesus. 
And what God did was he took the, God, he took the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and he said, I'm going to wash you clean. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And I am going to take all the ways in which you offended me and I am going to wash you. Heck, I'm going to make you completely clean and no one will see a single thing in the courts of heaven. We are justified in Jesus' name. That's who Jesus sees when he sees us. Thank you so much, George. See, there's something in your notes, and you're the only service that's going to get this point, but would you fill in the blanks for me? At the top, it says, when I love or serve my enemies, I tell myself they don't define me. I've missed that all, all weekend except this service, so God bless you. You got it. When I love and serve my enemies, I tell myself they don't define me. <laughs> Be careful of letting the hurt of one or two or three or 30 people be the definition of who you are. Point number three, loving my enemies is the greatest test of trusting God's word. Oh, I love the Bible, Pastor. I love it because you preach the Bible. I love the fact that you preach the Bible. No holds barred. You never hold back. Amen. And some of you are like, this is the Bible. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. How are you doing with loving your enemies? <laughs> See, I find that a lot of Christians love the Bible, and I, they love the parts of the Bible that, that tell, tell them how loved they are and how God is good and how blessed they can be. And, all, and that's true, and that's true. But there's parts of the Bible that challenge us and correct us and rebuke us. And we got to love that part, too. we got to love the parts that make us uncomfortable if we're going to love the Bible. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray. That's what he said, pray. Pray for those who persecute you. Now, uh, this is going to shock you, and it shocks me to say it to you, but this is one of the only times in the Bible, in the New Testament, where Jesus does not go as far as the Old Testament. Shockingly, because Jesus just says, pray for them. Now, prayer, may, maybe that's harder. Maybe that's harder for you to pray for people who hate you. Um, but I thought about it. It could be a short prayer. <laughs> He, he didn't put a time on it, did he? You know, make sure you pray for them 30 minutes. No, no, no. Just pray for them. Some of you are like, all right, I'll pray for them. God bless Joe. Okay, I'm moving on. <laughs> so it's one of, the, one of the few times in the Bible where Jesus doesn't go as far as the Old Testament. Let's go to the Old Testament. Let's see what the Old Testament says about our enemies. Are you ready for this? Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And then by doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, some of you are going to walk away from this passage. You're going to say, oh, oh, I get it. I get it. By loving them, we really stick it to them, don't we? <laughs> yeah, all right. I can get on board with this, Pastor. I'm going to go love the pants off of them. Amen. I'm going to burn in their heads, and it sticks it to them. I can walk away saying, ha. No. No, 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 no. The Bible was not written in 1953. It was written to an ancient world. And that passage from Proverbs is talking about an ancient practice of putting coals on one's head to bless them. Four contexts of putting coals on people's heads in the ancient world. Number one, you put coals on people's heads uh, to carry on a tray to, to, to poor people to bring them fuel. That's what they would do. Number two, you'd put coals on a sick person's head in a bag in a, in, a, in a bowl, really, and uh, that would bring healing to them because they didn't have Tylenol and ibuprofen. 
Number three, uh, coals on one's head was a sign of repentance. I'm sorry for how I've treated you, and I'm going to change now. And the only, the only negative connotation, which I don't even think Proverbs is referencing here, is that they would throw coals, fiery coals, over the walls to defend the city from enemies who were coming against the walls. And I don't think that that's past, that passage is dealing with this here. So here's what, past, here's, what Romans, here's what Proverbs is saying. It's saying you bless your enemies not to stick it to them. You bless your enemies in order to bless them. In order to actually bless them. And some of you are saying to me, I, there's no way I can do that. That's right. There's no way you can do that. That's why you need Jesus. Some of you maybe for the first time in your life are coming to terms with the fact that you need a Savior. Because you can't love those who hate you. Paul picks this passage up in Romans 25, in, Romans, uh, in Proverbs 25, in Romans 12, and he says this. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Give thought to what's honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, vengeance is God's. If they don't repent, if they don't turn, if they don't, if they don't seek you out, forgive, and, 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 and stop treating you, that, just know that God will take care of that. God will take care of that. And then he says this. He quotes Proverbs 25. If, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. Thirsty, give him something to drink. Uh, again, heaping coals on his head. Then verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? You know, in my opinion, the world just needs a little bit more, more good. The world just needs a, a lot more good. And uh, I'm not a social gospel preacher. You know that. But we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. And that means that there will be social improvement wherever we are. There will be less hate and more love wherever we are. Because we can't for one second claim to be recipients of the greatest love the world has ever known if we don't love those who hate us. Sermon in a sentence, filling this all in, summing it all up. When we love or serve our enemies, we reveal reception of God's grace. It means we, we get it. We get it. Commitment to God's character. I want to be like Jesus. I want to do what Jesus does and trust in God's word. I believe the Bible is true. I believe that God's word is God's word, and there's no if, ands, or buts about it. Okay, okay, all right. Go out there and love the people who hate you. Now, um, just answer and tell them you love them. Just answer it and tell them you love them right now. I love you and you should be in church. Why are you calling me right now? All right. Um, here's the last thing I want you to write down. Stay with me. But don't write it down with a pen. You write it down up here. You write it down up here. Are you ready? What name is coming to mind today? What name is coming to mind today? Because I bet you there's a name. Maybe there's a few. You write it down up here. And then when you leave, I don't know, maybe on the way home from church or maybe tonight, pick up the phone and call them. Pick up, pick up the phone and text them. Pick, hey, let's get together. Uh, this divide has gone on long, to, long enough. I'm sorry for what I did. I, I'm, I'm just going to move on. And would you just, let's get together. Let's, let's bury the hatchet. Let's move, let's move forward. Who is it? Of course they don't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. And it's time for Jesus to be seen through us when we serve where no one dares.